if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of John. The Gospel record of John. We are finishing up our series on the vision of God, just basically a shotgun method of various sermons, trying to lay a foundation on our vision of God. Wednesday will be our last message in this series. On Sunday night, we'll be talking about the vision of the work, and we'll have a concentrated effort on talking about the Great Commission and our place in the Great Commission and what God wants us to get accomplished. But as for now, we're turning our attention to the Gospel record of John in chapter 4, and this is one where the pastor has lots of fun. I enjoy this message. I may get a little bit loud, that's fine, and just keep you awake, keep you with me. But this is a very passionate message for me. But this ties in very nicely into our vision of God. That this idea of true worshipers. Let's see what the Bible says in the Gospel record of John in chapter 4. The Gospel record of John chapter 4. And let's start in verse number 1. The Gospel record of John chapter 4 and verse 1. The Word of God says this. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then came he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the part to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands, have had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We 
know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of John in chapter number 4. The gospel record of John chapter 4, verse 23, the phrase, true worshipers. True worshipers. And I pray that you have that desire to be a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain what that means from this context in just a second. The idea of true worshipers. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to the service, tonight. Lord, I'm looking forward to it. I'm praying to be a help. I'm praying to be understood and that we can put things into order. Lord, I'm asking that you would set the foundation. You would make it clear. And Lord, as I come to you, I recognize I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in me whatsoever. It must be you and it has to be you. The best I know how I surrender myself to you. Beg that you fill me with your spirit. Lord, do your own work tonight through your word. Make it come alive. Let it be understood. And let it be a help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The idea of true worshipers. Now Jesus had was still in his early ministry. Him and his disciples uh, were traveling. And they decided that they were going to go to Judea. And go once again into Galilee where he made his base of operations. Now if you're familiar with a map. Maybe you're familiar with your maps in the back of your Bible if you have them. Judea and Jerusalem is in the southern part of that Canaan area. Above that Jerusalem, uh, Judea area is a little region called Samaria. And above Samaria is a region called Galilee. Now, because of history, the Jewish people always saw themselves as God's people. They were God's pure people. God's perfect people, God's chosen people. And with it came a whole lot of pride. Literally, they looked at everyone else who was a Gentile or a non-Jewish person. They saw them as dogs. Literally, that's how they saw them. They're just nothing more than dogs, those poor dogs. Now, the Samaritans were worse because they were people of a Hebrew heritage. But during... uh, the captivity time with the Assyrians, what had happened is that the Assyrians had transported people from their lands and put them into Samaria with the poor Hebrew people that was left. They intermingled and they became a half-breed people, half-Jewish, half-Gentiles. And so to the Jewish people, they saw the people of Samaria that they were worse than dogs. They took their heritage and they went ahead and mingled with dogs and that they were worse than anything. And so they hated the Samaritans. They hated them so much that literally when they would go from Galilee or go from Galilee to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Galilee, they would literally cross the Jordan River, go up the Jordan River, cross again to go back into Galilee, sometimes going a hundred miles out of their way just not to go into Samaria. 
Do you go 100 miles out of your way not to cross something? Do you hate someone so bad that you would do everything you could to go the long way around just not to see their house or to run into them? That's just how much the Jewish people as a whole hated the Samaritans. And so this is a little bit unusual. Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee, verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Isn't that an interesting thing? That Jesus, he must needs. He had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. So he says, boys, we're going up to Galilee, but we're not going the long way around. We're going through it. All right, they're following him. So they come to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Now, what this was, was a big well where people would gather their water. And normally, if you remember your geography of of this area, it's a desert. And guess what? It gets warm near the hot part of the day. When the sun comes out, it gets pretty warm. So normally what would happen is that the ladies, and it was the ladies' job, they would go down to the well to go get water. Uh, They didn't have running waters. They didn't have uh, uh, pumps in the back. They had to go to this well. And so what the ladies would do is they would carry these big vases that could sometimes weigh up to 100 pounds with water in them. They would put them on their heads and they would walk down this big well. It wasn't like one of our wells that where little Jimmy falls in there and Lassie has to help, you know, point him out. It is a big cistern where they actually walk down and they walk down the stairs all the way around carrying these big jugs and it's a lot of work and so because it's a lot of work and it's in the in the desert most of the people would go to gather their water at at dusk or dawn at the cool parts of the day where you could still see now notice jesus comes it's in the it's in the part of the day he's wearied jesus still being in the same flesh he he's uh his body is wearied from his journey, and thus set at the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now we have the setting. Jesus comes and he sits down. The sixth hour, the Jewish day, begins at 6 a.m. So that's considered zero. The first hour is seven. The second hour is eight. Third hour is nine. The fourth hour is ten. The fifth hour is eleven. And the sixth hour is noon. So here we have the time. It's noon. Jesus is sitting at the well. He's being wearied. His disciples go off and said, let's go to the shops. Let's go find some bread. Let's go find something to eat. So his disciples leave him. He's sitting by himself. And here is the first thing I want to show you is that the sun seeks. The sun seeks. What does the sun seek, by the way? According to the gospel record of Luke in chapter 10, the sun seeks to save that which was lost. Jesus is looking for those that are lost. He's trying to find those that are lost that he can bring them to himself. Now, notice what happens. Verse 7. There was a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now, this woman, she is coming at what time? At noon. Why is she coming at noon? Because she doesn't want to be around the other ladies. Because of her lifestyle and because of the gossip that the ladies have, she didn't want to be the point of ridicule, at least be there when they're talking about her. So she comes at the hottest part of the day, expecting no one to be at the well. This is when she goes to draw up the well. Can you imagine her surprise? Maybe she's carrying the jug. She's carrying it from her house. It's already hot. And she's going to the well. And she sees a figure there. She gets closer and she goes, oh no, it's a man. 
She goes even closer. Oh, it's even worse. She could tell by his clothes it's a Jewish man. He's sitting there on the well. What more could happen in my day? And so she, she starts approaching. He speaks to her and says, give me some water because I thirst. I mean, she's going to have to go down the well with her bucket, walk all the way down, fill it up, come back and serve this Jewish guy who sit there at the well. So here's the context. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria with him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She asked a question. She goes, Why are you asking me? Aren't you afraid I'm going to poison your water? I'm going to contaminate your water? I'm going to mess things up? I mean, why? Why did you... <coughs> why are you asking this of me? Now, Lord, give help. Verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that asked of thee, give me to drink. Notice here, there are two things this woman did not know. Here are two things the woman did not know. The first thing, she did not know what the gift of God is. What is the gift of God? Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The first thing she didn't know, she didn't know what the gift of God was. That God had provided a free gift of salvation. What is the second thing she did not know? And who it is that saith to thee. The second thing she did not know was who Jesus is. By the way, when we're dealing with people and trying to tell them about the Lord, these are the two questions we're dealing with them about. Who Jesus is and what that free gift is. And everything that Jesus does in this conversation is for the purpose of answering these two things. What the gift of God is and who Jesus is. We see that we have the son that seeks. He's seeking for the lost sinner. He's trying to bring him to himself. He's trying to answer these two questions. Now notice as he deals with this lady, verse 11. The woman saith unto her, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? That's a good question. You say you got this, this water, if it's free, how are you going to do it? You don't have any buckets? How are you going to give me this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? By the way, the answer is yes. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall uh, thirst again. So he points to the well. Whoever drinks of this water, you're going to thirst again. You need a drink of water, you're going to thirst again. Drink some more water, thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in a well springing up into everlasting life. Now this woman is no fool. Hey, I want that water. I want the water where I won't thirst anymore. Verse 15. The woman saith unto her, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither the draw. You know, that's what we need to do when we're trying to tell people about the Lord. We need to make them thirsty. She said, oh, I'm ready to hear now. Tell me about this water. Now, before, she, he couldn't say, just say this prayer, but he had to deal with her sin. He had to point out and expose her sin. Verse uh, 15, uh, verse 16, And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now, Jesus knows everything. And he says this question on purpose to get a reaction out of her. Go get your husband. She goes, hey, I don't have a husband. 
Thou is, and he said unto her, Thou is well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he that thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou sayest truly. Can you imagine how exposed this lady feels right now? He said, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You said right, because you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're shacking up with, that's not your husband. Wow. You know what she does? She changes the conversation topic. Well, let's talk about something else now. (laughs) And so we see here the son that's seeking. Now, the second thing I want to show you is that the father seeks. We have all three things of the Trinity, all persons of the Trinity seeking. The son seeking. What is he seeking? He's seeking those that are lost. Now we see that the father seeks. What is the father seeking? Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now she switches the conversation to worship. That word worship is a very interesting word. It carries the idea of ascribing value to. For example, you guys got to stay with me. Stay awake, I'm here. If I had a $20 bill and a $100 bill, what makes one more valuable than the other? They're made up out of the same paper. They're printed by the same people. What makes one more valuable than the other? It's namely because we ascribe more value to the other. You know what worship means? It comes from an old English word meaning worth-ship. You know what we do when we worship God? We're telling Him how great He is. We're saying what a great God he is. We're telling him what he means to us. That's the true idea of worship. We're telling God how great he is. It is all about God. And everything that we do for God should be coming out of our worship to him, our worship to him. Now, she switches the conversation and she talks about worship. And she goes, you know, us Samaritans, we say that we could worship God here. Over at Jerusalem, they say you have to go to the temple. You know, who's really right? Who could really know? Notice what Jesus says. Jesus saith to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem in the temple worship the Father. Meaning, you don't have to go to a place to worship God. Worship is going to come out of the heart. Notice this. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Meaning that God has went through the Jewish people to give us Jesus Christ. You know why we're able to worship God? Because of the Jewish people and the promises God made to the Jewish people. That's how salvation, that's how uh, this worship comes through. But notice this, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. Why? For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Son is seeking those who are lost. You know what the Father is looking for? The Father is looking for those to worship Him. The worship Him. Notice this. That they must worship God when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. You know, this is very important. That if we're going to worship God, it has to be in spirit and it has to be in truth. You know that when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit inside of you. We recognize that. That we're sealed with the Spirit. Listen here, don't, don't check out on me. We get saved, the Holy Spirit becomes part of us, and it is the Spirit that enables us to worship God. 
You know what that means? The unsaved person cannot worship God. If you were asleep, you just missed that important thing. The unsaved person cannot worship God because they do not have the Spirit. Do you know what a church worship service is designed for? It is designed for saved people to worship God. A church service is not designed for lost people. That's a controversial saying. A church service is not designed for lost people. We're supposed to go out and tell them about the Lord, and then when they get saved, we bring them in. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, we're going to give the gospel everything, every, every chance we get, but this worship service is made for the saved people to worship God. The people in the contemporary movement, the new evangelical movement, the seeker-sensitive movement, whatever you want to call it now, What they do is they say, we're trying to design our services so the person off the street could come in and join with us to worship God. Now, according to this passage here, a lost person cannot worship God. You know what they're doing is against the scriptures? You know, that's the reason why they put Christian rock together is for the purpose of trying to attract a lost people to worship God. You cannot do that because a lost person cannot worship God. He cannot. Uh, One of the rock legends who just died, David Bowie, he said in in the Rolling Stones edition of 1976, he says that rock and roll is the devil's music. There's no way you can convince me otherwise. This is one of their rock legends. He says it is the devil's music. And to think that you're taking rock music and mixing it with Christian music, it's not going to bless it. It's not going to change it. It's not going to make it holy. It is against the scriptures and it's against what God's designed it to do. A church service is made for saved people. We are to worship God, not to have a concert, not to lift up our flesh. It is made to worship God and to acknowledge who he is. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, we have the Son who seeks. We have the Father who seeks. The Son is seeking those that are lost. The, the, (coughs) excuse me, the Father is seeking those to worship Him. Then we have the Spirit seeks. Notice verse 24. God is a Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit seeking to do? And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now the Holy Spirit comes in to us when we get saved. And the Spirit, according to the Bible, never promotes itself, but it always points to Jesus. It always points to Jesus. And so with us, we have the Spirit. And notice once again in verse 24, that God is a Spirit and they that worship God must Notice that word must. Must worship him in spirit and truth. That word must is also used in the chapter before in John chapter 3 where Jesus said, Verily, verily, you must be born again. What does that mean? There's a, you, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. Here it says, in order to be a true worshiper, in order to worship God, you must worship him in spirit and and in truth. That means if you're going to worship God, first of all, you have to worship Him. You must be saved. It must be done in the Spirit. Second of all, it must be done in truth. It must follow what the Bible says. You must worship God in Spirit and in truth. The Spirit 
is the Holy Spirit inside of us, worshiping God. Do you know that the number one thing associated with a brand new life, stay with me, the number one thing associated with a brand new life is a brand new song. If you don't sing and you're a Christian, there is something bad wrong. There is absolutely something bad wrong when a Christian can't sing. Because that is the number one thing associated with a brand new life is a brand new song over and over and over again. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit gives us a song to sing. And we can sing our praises to God. You know that God wants to hear your praises? For a Christian to say, well, I just don't sing. Well, then you are against Scripture. Every Christian should sing out. You say, but you don't understand, preacher. I don't sound good. Have you heard me? Hey, if I could sing loud and I can sing it with everything I've got, so can you. Every single one of us can. God says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But everyone who calls himself a Christian should sing out because that's what the spirit inside of us wants to do. It wants to lift up God. It wants to sing out. And any Christian who cannot, there is something spiritually wrong that needs to be examined and it needs to be fixed. Do you know that God has designed us as three parts? We're a, a triune people. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. We're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Inside of us, in the spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit resides. The Bible calls it the candle of the Lord. Now, is a candle, a candle if it's lit? Is a candle still a candle if it's not lit? Yes. When someone is saved, the candle just gets lit. But everybody is made with a spirit. Just if you don't get saved, if you're not saved, then what happens? That candle's not lit. You're missing the Holy Spirit inside of you. And people try whatever they can to fill that void. The Bible says we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. On our soul, we have will, intellect, and emotion. We have will, intellect, and emotion. Our intellect is what we think. Our emotion is what we feel. Our will is what we choose to do. And that we can actually determine things with our will we could, or with our intellect. We could also choose to do things based off of our emotion. But that is our soul. And then we have our body. In our body we have our five senses. Taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight, all those things. Those are our five senses. That's With our spirit we are God conscious. With our soul we are self conscious. With our body we are world conscious. It's how we recognize and perceive things. Did you know that music also has three parts? Music is made up of excuse me, of rhythm, or sorry, yeah, rhythm, harmony, and melody. Melody goes first. Melody, harmony, and rhythm. And our melody is where we carry the truth of the, mu- of the words. Da, 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 da. That's the melody line. And along with the melody line comes with the words. We recognize the words, and that's what we sing. Words... A truth can only be expressed in words. It can only be expressed in words. So when we must worship God in spirit and truth, what we do is that we're putting an emphasis on the melody. We're putting an emphasis on the, the, excuse me, the words, the truth of the music, if we're dealing with the music part. And next to it, you have the harmony. The harmony is the style. It's the emotion of the music. It's, it's how it's played. 
uh, it's the accompaniment. And then the rhythm is the beat of it. Now, wherever you place the emphasis on music is where you place the emphasis on our parts of the body. If you place the emphasis on the melody, the truth of the music, that feeds our spirit. And our spirit's what worship God's. Remember, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. If we're dealing with the idea of music, then the emphasis must be placed on the melody. Now, if we put the emphasis on the harmony, the style, the music part, the accompaniment of it, what happens, music is inherently emotional. And with it, if you place the emphasis on the on the harmony part, you bypass the intellect and go straight to the emotion. This is why the people, they have their music, they have their inspiration of music. They'll get the lighters out and they'll have tears in their eyes and they'll go, oh, what a great God. You know, they didn't have a spirit experience. They had a soul experience. They had an emotional experience, but that's not the same as worshiping God. And there's so much being done where people have an emotional experience and it's powerful and it's real. But God rejects it because it is not done in spirit and in truth. And then the last part, if you put the emphasis on the rhythm, you get the rock music. You get the, it feeds the flesh. Oh, that's what I like, the boom, the boom. Sometimes you drive up to them and hear the bass and it's shattering your windows right next to them. You're wondering, how can you hear anything? You can't even hear any words or anything. But that feeds the flesh. And that's the emphasis. That's what the world places the emphasis on. Now, when we're talking about worship, God only accepts true worship. It must be done in spirit and in truth. And there's a lot of things done out there in the name of worship that God rejects because it's not done in spirit. It's not done by saved people. It's not done for the purpose of worshiping God. And it's not done in truth. It's not doing according to the words of the music or according to the truth of the Bible, according to what God has put down. Now, as we continue on with this idea, the spirit seeks. The spirit is trying to bring people to God and trying to point up to Jesus. Notice in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Notice verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speaketh unto thee am he. You want to know what salvation is? It's verse 26. What is true salvation? It is when God reveals himself for whom he truly is. That moment where God shows himself. When when you're getting ready to get saved and you say, I want him. Jesus reveals himself and you see who he is for whom he truly is. That's what true salvation is. When Jesus is revealed, unveiled to you, and he comes to live inside of your heart, and you know who he is. That's what salvation is. Remember, Jesus at the very beginning said there was two things she didn't know. Who Jesus is, and what that gift of God is. And at that moment when he says, that's me, it's me, she understands both things, that it's Jesus and the gift of God. So this brings us to the idea of what is a worship service. You guys are being patient with me. Turn with me to the book of Revelation and let me show you a true worship service. A true worship service. The book of Revelation in chapter 5, the last book of the Bible. 
What is a true worship service? We must worship God in spirit and in truth. So what is a worship service? What does a worship service look like? What does it sound like? What happens in a true worship service? Remember, there's a lot of things being done in the name of worship that God rejects. What is a true worship service? Notice with me the book of Revelation, chapter number 5, starting at verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, every one holding one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hath redeemed us to God by every blood and out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And Thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast of the elders and the number of them were ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the sea and such that are in the sea and all that are in them and I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen! And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that lived forever and ever. What is a true worship service? You could write in big boxcar letters right beside it, All eyes on the Lamb! That's what a true worship service is. All eyes are on the Lamb. It was not on the angels. It was not on the beast. It was not on the four and twenty elders. It was not on the book. All eyes are on the Lamb. What is a true worship service for us? All eyes are on the Lamb. Everything that we do here is made to worship God. That when we start our services, we pray a little, do play a little uh, prelude bless the lord all my soul and what it is is to get our hearts ready and to tell us that it is time and that our hearts are getting ready and preparing to worship god we start with an opening prayer and we want to put god in the forefront we want to give him the first fruits we want to go to him and say we need him 
when the singing is done, uh, going on, that everyone has a songbook. Everyone is singing. Everyone is thinking about the words, not thinking about something else, but all of us are thinking and giving our prayer, uh, our praise of our lips, as the book of Hebrews says, and lifting up to God and saying He is worthy as we sing these songs, thinking about Him, that when we come and we do an offertory and we have the people come, that there's a hush and that people are silent and they're quiet because this is a worship time and the piano is playing a familiar hymn because as the piano player is playing a song we're thinking about the words of the song and thinking about the wonderful God that we have and how great he is to us when someone sings a special that it's all eyes on the lamb it's not them they're not gyrating they're not singing the microphone They're not adding extra stuff. But what they're doing is they're singing with the idea of pointing people to the Lamb and not to themselves. When the preacher preaches, he opens up the Word of God. And he's preaching from the Word of God. And he's showing people it's all about Him. And then when we come to the invitation, the service isn't over. This is the most important part of the invitation. Because it is now us responding to our God. And responding to what He has spoken to us. Saying, you are worthy of my decision. You are worthy of my following. You are worthy of me being a servant. You are worthy oh God. You are worthy and everything that is done in a worship service. All eyes are on the Lamb. That is a worship service because it is all about God. It is not about the preacher. It's not about the choir. It's not about the specials. It's not about the pianist. It's not about the person giving announcements. All eyes are on the Lamb. It must be about God. We have a seeking God. What is the son seeking? He's seeking to save that which was lost. What is the father seeking? He's seeking for those to worship him. What is the spirit seeking? He's pointing people up to Christ and saying it's all him. It's all him. It's all him. This is the type of worship service we have and we are going to have. That everything is done for the purpose that all Eyes are on the Lamb. I understand other churches do different things and they can do whatever they want. But for us, we're going to be true worshipers because we must worship God in spirit and in truth. It must be saved people lifting up our hearts, lifting up our voices. Everything we do for God must come out of our worship. The reason why I come to church is to worship Him. The reason why I pass out a track is to worship Him. The reason why I pray before my meals is to worship Him. The reason why I do things with my kids should be out of my worship. The reason why I go to work in the morning is to worship God. The reason why I do everything should come out of my worship of God because He is worthy. It's all about God. And if we're going to be true worshipers, we have to carry that same thing with attitude with us. It's all about 